Awesome. Hey, everyone. Um, like Hannah said, my name is Raul, and I was born and raised in East L.A., which I didn't really know was a thing until, you know, pretty recent. Um, we're a rare breed, I hear. And um, yeah, Ashley and I have been coming to Bread, and this experience uh, being here with all of you and um, has been just so good for us. And so I just want to thank especially Ed and Hannah for um, giving me this opportunity. Um, teaching from the scriptures is something I really enjoy and not anything I take uh, lightly. So with that said, um, let's dive in, shall we? So over the past couple of weeks, we've been on a series studying the specific parables of Jesus. And We've been looking at the truths about the kingdom that Jesus communicated through these various parables. And the first week, um, Hannah walked us through the parable of the Good Samaritan, showing us that compassion is the culture of the kingdom. And the following week, uh, Ed taught on prayer and what prayer in the kingdom looks like, challenging us to pray God's will instead of ours. And last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, learning about growth in the kingdom. And tonight, uh, today we're going to end the series observing the banquet parable. And if, if you've missed any of the teachings, um, you can go online at bread.church and listen to them, except um, I think the second week's isn't on there, right? <laughs> it's lost to our memory. Um, yeah, so before, before we read the text, I want to fill us in a little bit on what's happening in the narrative. Um, we're going to read out of chapter, uh, Luke chapter 14, and at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on a road trip to Jerusalem. Chapters 9 through 19 record Jesus' activity during those six months, and the author Luke does something brilliant. He portrays Jesus as a new Moses who is delivering a new covenant, and also as the new David, who's gathering the people under kingdom rule. Um, and during this time, Jesus is seen dining with two groups of people. He's having banquets and um, having special meals with two different groups. And the first group is the marginalized. Um, G, uh, Luke characterizes these people as the poor, the, the uh, tax collectors, the sex workers, and other people that have been socially rejected. And interestingly enough about this group is that they respond happily to Jesus' teaching and they enjoy his company. It's the religious elites, the Pharisees, the scribes, and politicians, and other Jewish elites who uh, try to challenge Jesus and discredit him. And the scene surrounding this parable is a dinner feast on a Sabbath. It's a scene that begins with the healing. It has a teaching on humility and then ends with Jesus telling this parable to point at the heart issue of the religious leaders. Um, Jesus tells this parable as a diagnosis of their cultural religious narrative and foretelling of God's action in himself. So what Jesus is doing here in this parable is he's getting at the heart issue for the religious leaders. So let's uh, read out of the text, um, Luke chapter 14. It says this. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, 
a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, you know, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come, for obvious reasons. Um, Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Okay, go into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Pretty solid story, right? Um, There's a few things here that I want to point out that I think will help us understand this parable. See, from Jesus' story, we know that the host is pretty wealthy, And he throws this huge party. And what's interesting about banquets is they were important. They were important um, occasions that were used to solidify social relations. And if you've seen Mean Girls, um, you can probably relate. But there's a scene where Lindsay Lohan's character is thinking about joining the mathletes, the, the, the math club at the local high school. And she's having this conversation with one of her friends, and her friend steps into the scene and says, don't do it, it's social suicide. Well, basically the same idea is at play here. See, if you were a Jewish elite eating with, quote-unquote, a mathlete, you'd be socially cut off. Your social relationships would be over. See, there wasn't any crossing of social boundaries, but yet we see Jesus having meals with both sides of the spectrum. And also, in the story, these invited guests give excuses and say they can't make it. And it's kind of interesting that the host would get so upset. You see, no Middle Easterner would have... um, No Middle Easterner would have bought either land or animals without first giving them a thorough inspection. That's like you or I buying a house or a car without taking a look at it first. It's just silly. Um, And so this excuse makes no sense. And the second, the, the, the third excuse, the excuse of the man who's just got married is... It shows that this individual has plenty of social obligations and he doesn't want any more. And so if you were to package up these excuses and deliver them to the host, basically what it is, is it's a big middle finger. This guy's there telling this host, hey, we don't want anything to do with you. Which is why, you know, the host responds with such anger. And to their stubborn excuses, he does something so radical that the original hearers would have been left um, dumbfounded. You see, he invites the socially rejected. 
He sends servants to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame in the, in the streets. But the house still isn't full. So he sends for people even further from him to, to the countryside where the outcast population lived. It's, this is where the um, traders and sex workers and tax collectors lived. They had access to the city, but because of their social status, they weren't allowed to live in it. And so what Jesus is communicating is a party with people that nobody would expect to come. And so the host throws on this party, and, and I think the last line of this party, the, the last line of this story is kind of uh, comical. You see, it ends with the host saying, those who were initially invited will not get a taste of my banquet, which basically means that he won't be sending any food to those invited. Now, I don't know if you grew up any, uh, any way like me, but whenever we had um, family parties, you see, I'm, I'm Mexican, and so we have a lot of family. So by the end of the party, we'd have a ton of food left over. And we would just take food home because, you know, it was common courtesy and it was seen as a thanks for coming gift. Um, and what, er, earlier this week, I just thought of this, earlier this week I went over to my mom's house and I opened the fridge because, you know, that's what you do when you go visit your parents, you raid the fridge. Um, and I saw just this giant plastic bag of cooked rice just sitting in the fridge and I was like, Mom, why? <laughs> this is so random. And she's like, oh, it's, you know, I went to your tia's party and she asked me to just take home some rice. And so there it is in the fridge. And I'm like, okay. But all that to say um, that these invited guests won't be receiving any bags of rice. Um, but can you imagine this scene? Jesus is sharing this story that at first sounds humorous to the religious leaders, but then halfway through, they realize, oh, he's talking about us. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Um, the, these religious leaders were the original invited guests who've made lame excuses and have rejected the offer of Jesus. And Jesus is giving them a diagnosis of the heart. Because see, God cares about the outer appearances, but more than that, he cares about our hearts. Where are our hearts? What are the commitments of our hearts? And here Jesus is addressing an issue of the heart. They've rejected God's kingdom, and so they're being released to their desires. And now the outcasts are directly invited to participate in God's kingdom and God's action of renewal and restoration. And in this story, Jesus is revealing truths about the nature of the kingdom of God to see the essence and the makeup of God's rule and reign on earth in and through the person of Jesus. And what we find is that the kingdom, or as Dallas Willard said, where what he wants done is done, it challenges us to reorient everything we think to be right. Our identity, our relationships, how we use our resources, our definition of success. And looking at the nature of the kingdom, I want to point out two things happening in this story. And the first is a reorientation. The second is an invitation. And I love how this story begins. Um, 
I love how this passage begins. See, there's a Pharisee who's likely a type nine and um, can't deal with conflict like myself. Um, he, is, he shouts out this, this phrase to try to de-escalate the tension in the room. And he says, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom. And in classic Jesus fashion, he responds with the story. You see, he, he agrees with the Pharisee that those who participate are indeed blessed, but the people he assumes will participate are an entirely different group of people. It's the outcasts, the marginalized, the rejected, and Jesus classifies them as blessed. You see, no Jewish elite would have thought that these, that these types of people were blessed. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? See, he's turning things upside down. He's showing us who really is blessed. It's not the Pharisees and other religious elites. It's the outsiders. And I think this is scary for us because we've been conditioned to think that those with material possessions and status and talent are those who are blessed. But Jesus takes that idea and throws it out the window. <laughs> you see, in his kingdom, there are, and in his kingdom, these are the types of people who are blessed. We're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 5. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. And these are announcements of blessing and celebration coming to the socially disadvantaged. We only have time for the first four announcements in the Beatitudes, but you'll notice that these are paradoxical. They run against practical wisdom. They run against what we've been conditioned to think. In the first one, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the economically poor, the ones who are getting pushed out of our neighborhoods because of gentrification, the ones who can't afford to make ends meet. Blessed are the relationally poor, the widows, the orphans, those in our city that are lacking community and feel alone. Blessed are the, spirit, blessed are the poor, the spiritually poor, those of us that are seeking, those of us that are curious, even those of us that have been rejected and hurt by previous um, church experiences. Jesus is calling these categories of people blessed. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, those of us that have lost a dream, those of us that have lost a loved one, those of us who have gone through a heartbreak, those of us who have lost a job or an opportunity, Jesus says, you're blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Gosh, this just keeps getting a little bit more intense, doesn't it? Those who are most vulnerable. See, it's the elderly, it's the children, it's those in our city who don't speak the language and can't defend themselves. Blessed are you, Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who want healthy and right relationships, but because of circumstances and choices that they've made, it's kept them from doing so. You see, none of us would have 
categorized these people and these states to be blessed, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, these are blessed because for Jesus, the presence of the kingdom means that we're no longer at a disadvantage. Regardless of where we stand on the social scale, in the kingdom, we're recipients of God's blessing. We're recipients of God's good intention. (laughs) You see, he lowers the standard for experiencing the kingdom. It used to be just for the uh, uh, religious and political elites, but now Jesus is taking the standard and he's literally throwing it on the ground. And he's like, hey, if you, if you breathe, if you're a human, you can experience the kingdom. See, Jesus flips the script even further in other passages. In Jesus' eyes, influence should be used to serve those in our social circles. And on a larger scale, if we're looking at this you know, idea from space, exclusiveness, exploitation of resources from other nations, military supremacy and intimidation doesn't make any nation great, and it's not the way of Jesus. In, previous, in the previous verses, Jesus talks about humility that's contrary, that's contrary to the narrative of our day. See, the narrative that we've, been, that we've heard and that we've brought up, especially in a competitive city like L.A., um, the narrative we hear is if you want to be great, you've got to push yourself to the top at the expense of others. But Jesus refutes this idea, and he says, in the kingdom, those who humble themselves are exalted. When we look down on others, we hurt the order of God. You see, because humans are image bearers. And when one person assumes the posture of long-nosing on another, he or she disregards that that person is made in the image of God. And this is the basis for abuse, for objectification, and for other crimes against humanity that we've seen throughout history. But Jesus knows what happens when humans take on a posture like this, which is why he left us his example so he can thrive. You see, Jesus, in humility, he came to serve, not to be served. And the rules we've been conditioned to uphold hardly ever apply to the nature of the kingdom. And, it, and it's kind of frustrating. Because in the kingdom, you don't play by the same rules as on the playground. It won't always make sense at first glance. See, just like it doesn't make sense for why there's life-transforming power in the message of a crucified Savior. Paul says it sounds foolish. But you see, God uses the things that don't make much sense to show people that he's the one acting. See, God uses someone to stutter to deliver a nation from oppression. And that doesn't make sense. You see, it doesn't make sense for God to make a poor forgotten shepherd boy into a king. And it definitely doesn't make sense for God to take a punk skater kid from East LA and use him to talk about his kingdom. See, the the nature of the kingdom requires us to be reoriented to God's reality. See, he shows us that his kingdom is an upside down kingdom The last are first, the outsiders are in, the greatest serve, the humbled are exalted, victory is taken by death on a cross. 
It doesn't make any sense. But it's an upside-down kingdom. And the way we reorient ourselves to the kingdom of Jesus is in his presence. All of this happens in his presence, which takes me to my next point, invitation. Are you guys good? You guys with me? Okay. Um, Invitation. See, in this parable, the invited guests reject the host at the time of the banquet, and instead the host invites the outcasts living on the edge of the city and beyond. See, for the Pharisees listening, this invitation is reorientation in full swing. For them listening, Jesus is flipping things upside down, and they don't really like it, because now they're because now they're at a disadvantage. See, those that once thought were rejected have, actu- have actually become the most honored guests. And I find that that may be the condition for many of us. See, previously you may have been told that you've been rejected by God, that God doesn't love you. But in this story, Jesus makes it clear that that's not the case. You see, Jesus sees you as most important. And God wants you to know, what God wants you to know is that he wants to dine with you. Simple meal. That's what this banquet parable is about, is God dining with the outcasts. Remember, banquets signified solidifying of social relations. And God has chosen to cement and solidify a relationship with us. See, I love the image for the, for the kingdom type life. It's the image of a banquet with God. And I think often the image we get is, is the image of a DMV experience, which we all hate. I think we can all agree. Um, but the image that, that often comes to mind, especially the image that comes to mind in our culture, is that of a DMV experience where God is a, a desk agent trying to get through the line so he can go home and just watch Shit's Creek or something, you know? <laughs> this is like the picture that often comes to mind. But the reality is Jesus shows us that the opposite is the case that Jesus wants to dine with us. See, this is the invitation for not only us, but for the world. See, God's desire is for all people. And I want to look at the image in Isaiah 25, 6. Perfect. Um, It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty, I want us to, to listen to the I guess, the dining terminology here, okay? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, come on, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Gosh, that sounds so good, doesn't it? You see, God's prepared the meal. He's brought the wine. He'll take care of the cleaning and the washing all he wants for us is a simple presence. It's his company, because he knows that his presence, that his spirit is enough. And our part is simply responding. 
the best thing is that God always initiates. I think sometimes we think that, oh, I have to work up all this courage and I have to, I have to perform in order to get to God. But you see, that little, that little pull, that tug on your heart, that's God initiating something. That's God initiating you to respond. And so God always initiates. He invites us to participate with him daily. You see, you can be at work, you can be at, at school, you can be with the kids, you can be in the most mundane. And God will still initiate a response from us. You see, because in his, in his goodness, God meets us wherever we're at. And that's the nature of the kingdom. It's that it's here and that it's accessible by outsiders like us. I went on a backpacking trip um, about, a, uh, about a month ago, and we carried about 30 or 40 pounds of, of gear that we thought would be appropriate for um, a 10-mile or a 20-mile round-trip hike um, here in the local mountains, about two hours east of here. And we started at about 6,000, and we didn't see too much snow. So we thought, oh, you know, we're, we've got boots on, we've got gaiters, we've got crampons, like we're good. Like we don't need anything else. We, we, we've got this covered. But then at about 7,000 feet, as we started climbing up at about 7,000 feet, the snow started to get deeper. And by the time we hit 8,000 feet, the snow was about three feet deep, and every step we were taking, we were literally sinking in. And it felt like to get out of this hole, we had to use every bit of strength that we had. And as we're like climbing, as we're climbing out of these like holes, we look to the, to the left and to the right, and there's hikers just climbing up with snowshoes. And we're looking at them like, this is a walk in the park for them. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> you see, but what's interesting is, is that in that moment, I, I realized that I was doing things the hard way. I was doing things without, the, without the, the, the assistance of any other tools. And what I, what I love about the presence and the Spirit of God is, see, He makes it so we can walk on snow that's three or four feet deep. See, he makes it so that we don't struggle. He makes it so that we don't have to use or have to go through things in our own ability. See, in his presence, he empowers us. In, in, his, in his spirit, he gives us the ability, the power. Um, Ephesians uses the word dynamis, strength, to go through, you know, whatever you may be trekking through. But this only happens in his presence. This only happens when we respond to what God is initiating. And the truth is, this kingdom stuff sounds great, but it doesn't always feel like it's here and now. It doesn't always feel like it's accessible, especially in moments of difficulty. You see, this march um, will mark my 10th year of following Jesus, and... There, in that time, there's been plenty of highs and lows. And I've learned that even in hardship, that with God, there can be a banquet. I love what Psalms 23 says. 
again, let's listen to the dining terminology here. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. You see, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And even in hardship and in opposition and in arguments at work and tension within your family, you see, you can experience the goodness and the love of Jesus in the midst of that. See, his is an upside-down kingdom. And I think the ultimate point that Jesus is communicating to this, uh, through this story, is that the party is ready. The party is ready, the kingdom is here, and Jesus is calling us to respond. And so as we end, and um, the band comes up, um, the band's going to play a song, and I want us to just take a moment to reflect um, and I think we can find ourselves in one of two categories here. I think um, the experience, maybe your experience around God and the church has been, um, has left you feeling rejected, has left you feeling distant, and maybe it's left you feeling hurt. And you need to experience God's love and acceptance and allow for healing from those hurtful moments. Maybe you might find yourself in another category where you've been faithful and you've done all the right things and, and you still find yourself in what feels like a desert of just difficulty and discouragement and opposition. And I think for you, you need to be reminded that even in opposition, like Psalms 23 says, you can have a banquet. You can experience the goodness and the love of Jesus. And so as a band comes up and sings a song, I, I want us to just take a moment and reflect. Take a moment and reflect. And if you feel like you find yourself in one of those two categories, then we're going to allow for an opportunity for you to receive prayer. We've, we've got a prayer team that is trained, and they're not going to probe for any questions. Um, but I just ask that you would come with a posture of openness. And so we're going to take a second. We're going to reflect. Band's going to sing a song. And then um, when we're ready, we can come up to the front and receive prayer if you are responding to either of these calls.